Thanks, Emily. We want to join everyone else in saying welcome. Glad you're here and online. Glad you're, you're online. Um, uh, just a reminder, you know, uh, my name's Lloyd Shadrach, one of the teaching pastors serving alongside Rob Sweet, our lead pastor. Just you know, a reminder for guests that, that we have uh, two uh, people in the pulpit. We believe in a team ministry. And so, of course, Rob is teaching at uh, Brentwood, our Brentwood congregation this morning. Lloyd is teaching here. And then we go back and forth, just rooted in our uh, core value of better together. Well, a lot has transpired, y'all, since I was last here. You know, it was two, it was two weeks ago. Eric taught in my place, um, and uh, it was two weeks ago that uh, uh, Lisa and I, along with Mike and Michelle Smalling, uh, had had the weekend of our lives as our son Darden married their uh, eldest daughter, Jordan. And uh, I'll start crying again. Every time I start talking about it, I cry, because <laughs> it was... Um, it was two of the happiest days of our lives. I mean, I can tell you that. It was amazing. Um, I've always told Lisa because, you know, I do a number of weddings. We're at weddings. And, you know, if I'm at most weddings, you know, I'm, I'm not dancing. I'm, I mean, I, I like to dance, but I'm, I'm not. I said, look, I'm going to dance at our kids' weddings. And I'm telling you guys, I woke up Sunday morning and could hardly walk because <laughs> I did stuff I didn't think I was capable of. And, and the videos will show that. But we, we had a great time. Truly um, happy, happy days. Uh, between last time I, I stood here to teach, I also had a visit, and that's actually that week of the wedding with uh, Ken and Mary Jane Criblay. Ken is, um, uh, 18 months ago, was diagnosed with stage four liver cancer. And uh, he's been on chemo, over 30 treatments. Um, but I met with him the day before hospice was coming in to, um, to assist with him. And uh, I left there uh, after sitting with him with, with, with deep sadness. Um, I learned of a uh, number of you know fellowship families uh, struggling with COVID. Some, you know, again, for some it's a flu, for some it's nothing, for some it's life and death. And within our body, there are some it's been life and death. You know, um, I don't know if you, many, many of you know um, Roger Idstrom, Roger's assistant coach at Belmont, whether with Casey Alexander and, and Roger's, you know, mid 40s, but he's been in the ICU. He's out now and, and, and doing better and just wait on my heart. I've been following, you know, the California fires, sort of, you know, I mean, it's all the way out there, right? Uh, but, but I tell you what, the Colorado fires got personal when, uh, you know, Jerry Rooker grabbed me and Jerry's got a house in Estes Park and he showed me a picture and I thought he was showing me a sunset and what he was showing me was a fire coming down in Estes Park and suddenly you just go, goodness gracious, this is crazy. We've... We've had births since I last spoke, um, and we've had news of very difficult, difficult uh, pregnancies. Um, we're going to vote on Tuesday in an election that is, you know, it's got a lot of fireworks in it, uh, contentious, quite frankly, and I guess they all are. I think this one's been most difficult, at least for, I'd say for me, to me, it's been difficult because it's just been contentious among Christ's followers. And that's that's painful. Um, coronavirus coronavirus cases are on the rise. You know they they, they are. But that's a fact. Um, you know we have the mass mandate, and of course we encourage masks when uh, churches are exempt. But we encourage them. You know if if you're able to wear them, uh, just to be safe. I I would just I'm going to speak personally. You know my observation when I look in the mirror. So for me, and when I look at us, this thing has brought out the worst of us and the best in us, and <laughs> it's just like, oh my goodness. Um, I don't know about you, but at times, 
I, I do find myself, and I mean this, I just want to scream, what in the world is going on in the world? I do. I just, what in the world's going on in the world, people? You know, what, what, what's happening here? Um, maybe you would feel that way as, as well. There's just things happening, and I'm sure every generation, every, all people feel it, but you just feel like some of the things that you could count on, you can't count on anymore. It's just stuff's crumbling. Um, it's why we chose, may I say, why, it's, it's why we chose to teach Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Now, this is the words of Jesus, just pure red-letter words. Jesus says, this is how you live in light of the world being like this. And um, last week, I, I, I hope you go back and watch Rob's message because we're in these six concrete examples. Remember when Jesus said, look, you heard it said, but I say. And I'm telling you, man, the next one's hard. And this one Rob just did is, is pretty, you know, it's, you know, you, you've heard it said, you know, someone harms you. Um, you know, harm them back, which is says, no, 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 don't harm them back. And it's not even don't hit them back. It's do something good for them. <laughs> you know, it's like, what? There, there are times, in, in addition to the first scream I had, I have this scream. Jesus, you've got to be kidding. You, you mean that, you know? And of course, here's what we know. Jesus means what he says. Now, I am gonna start a message today that I will not finish until two weeks from now. So look, just so you know, I'm starting a message. Rob's gonna pick it up and take it deeper in a particular area, and then, then I'm gonna finish up in two weeks. I'm gonna wrap that message up. It's, you're probably wondering, why is that board up there and what's written all over that board? Well, that's what we're gonna talk about. And what, 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 I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll introduce it this, it, we're still in the Sermon on the Mount, okay? We are in the Sermon on the Mount and we're in these six examples and we're about to get to the sixth example. But right here before that sixth example, Rob and I truly feel, we, we need to talk about something related to the context of the Sermon on the Mount. And here's how I'm gonna get there. I'm gonna ask you a question. I really want you to answer this. If you were to ask the average person, I mean, just go out there and grab people off the street, Columbia and Avenue. If you stopped 100 people out the mall and you just said to them, articulate for me Jesus's primary message. Okay, you're just, just Christians, non-Christians, Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims, just, just anyone, but you said 100 people and you just said, tell me what, what, tell me, if you could just boil down to a statement, a word or a phrase, the message of Jesus what would they say? What might they say? I, I really want you to just yell some out. What might they say? You know, you're not gonna be wrong. What, what might they say? Love, yes, yes. What, what else might they say? That Jesus' message boiling down is this. What might they say it is? I can't hear you. Repent, yeah, repent. What else? The kingdom is here, yes. So, so when we think about his fundamental message, I think the majority of people would, would kind of gravitate towards love because it is his message. But can I say, we really don't have to wonder what his primary message is. Although even as Christians, you all, we may be a bit foggy. When Jesus walked the planet, uh, he told us what his 
There's, there's a primary message and everything else fits under it. Um, when he walked the planet, his first public words of ministry uh, tell us what his message is. And it's the message he comes back to over and over and over and over and over again. And yes, there's all these other things, but he comes back to this one and he keeps coming back to this one. In our Bibles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those aren't written in order. That's not how it happened in order per se. When we wanna see his first public words of ministry, we actually go to Mark chapter one, verses 14 and 15. This is what we think is the first public ministry words that come out of his mouth. If you have your Bible, uh, you can look at it with me. Mark chapter one, verses 14 and 15. And here, Jesus clearly says what matters most in his message. Verse 14, after John was arrested, Jesus came came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, who was it that said kingdom of God? Holly, was that you know? Okay, it's the kingdom of God, you all. So that's why I say we can kind of get askew. You know, it's, it's one thing to be, remember memorable phrases from Jesus. Love your enemy, forgive, even repent. But his message was the kingdom of God is at, it's here. And he'll come to it over and over and over again. You see, and the reason we want to camp for a few messages on the kingdom of God is Matthew's gospel in which the Sermon on the Mount resides. He mentions the kingdom of God 52 times. It's like twice a chapter, kingdom of God. Now he calls it the kingdom of heaven. It's the same. 162 times in the New Testament, we hear the kingdom of God, the kingdom. And where Rob and I sit back is we thought, okay, some of these things that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you really do want to go, Jesus, are you kidding? Well, the people who heard it didn't necessarily say, are you kidding, at least for this one reason. When Jesus says the kingdom of God is here, they didn't scratch their head. They didn't didn't kind of go, what does he mean, kingdom of God? You know what I'm saying? They didn't do that. You all, when Jesus said the kingdom of God is here, he was simply inserting himself into the story from Genesis to Revelation that describes God's kingdom. Here's what I want us to grasp. If we don't understand, this we're just doing some theology here for three weeks in a sense. If we don't understand the kingdom of God, what is it? What does it mean? Well, what does it mean to me? Well, we'll not come close to understanding the Sermon on the Mount. And far from being life-giving, we'll, we will find ourselves rather confused. And so, again, I'm going to start today. Rob is going to pick up next week as we look at the pattern. That's the, that's the message today. The pattern of the kingdom of God. Now, uh, 
I'm gonna do this a, a little bit differently. Uh, I gotta watch the time because I can get carried away. But I've, I've got this board up here, and Rob and I chose the board for a reason versus me writing it on the iPad. Um, and, and, the re, and the reason is we, we want you visually. I know some of you can't see what I'm writing up here. You, you, you sort of can. We'll come up and look at it afterwards. Um, but we, we wanted you to feel, in a sense, and see the, 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 the scope of the kingdom, not on a little piece of paper, but... You know, I mean, from beginning to the end, the pattern of the kingdom. And so if you wanted to, you could, you, you know, you, you take the kingdom and if you put kingdom in front of all these top words, these are, this is the pattern of the kingdom, the kingdom given, lost, et cetera. I'm gonna walk us through that. This is good. I, I like this stuff. I know some maybe check out, but stick with me um, because it shows the connection of the pattern all the way from beginning to end. So let's start here. If Jesus arrives on the scene and he says, the kingdom is at hand. What I want to show you is from Mark 14, Mark 1, 14 to 15, when Jesus says what he says, there is a direct line to Genesis 1 and 2. A direct line, and I'm going to trace it for us. Genesis 1. Now, when you look at the Old Testament, you don't hear you won't hear the words, the kingdom of God. And, and you're not gonna hear the words, the kingdom of God, even here in Genesis 1. But I, I want you to note Genesis 1, verses 27 and 28. You, you know the story, God creates the heaven and the earth. This is, I've got drawn up here. God's created the heaven and the earth. And then God creates man in his image. Now listen to the words God uses. This is Genesis 1, 27, 28. God created man in his own image. The image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So, so mankind, okay, he created humanity. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Do you see the... Uh, <laughs> the words of kingdom in that statement. Subdue, have dominion. Y'all, think of this. This is, this is creation, Adam and Eve. They've got all of creation. God is now saying, okay, I've made Adam and Eve, and I want you to think of this, in God's image, right? So he makes them in God's image, and then note he uses these words that tell them they are gonna co-reign, and they are gonna co rule, look, reign and rule all of creation. Now, you know, I don't know. You know, you've been to job interviews or whatever, and they give you a job and say, look, you're gonna be the vice president over North America. Wow. <laughs> I'm not kidding when I say this. God made humanity to co-reign and co-rule the earth, the whole earth. Under, see, now it's under his rule, you see. He's the king, read the Psalms. He's the king of heaven and earth. And he, but he made in God's image, humanity co-reigns and co-rules all of creation. So in the very beginning, I, I want you to see, we've already got the pattern, oh my goodness, of the kingdom. Now, you know how the story goes. So we, the, the, the kingdom, you know, is given, Genesis 1 and 2, 
And then the kingdom is lost in Genesis 3. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve, just trust me. Just trust me that this is life. I mean, when you think about life, just trust me. This is, it's all you need. It's all you could imagine. Trust me and you will experience life as you were made to experience it. And of course they rebel. No, we don't trust you. We think there's another way. Now, when, when I think of kingdom, let me stop. I got to back up for a second because there's a, there's a theological definition of the kingdom that is generally accepted. I'm, I'm beg borrowing and stealing from everyone on this because everyone holds just a slightly different view. But when you say kingdom, I, I want us to get this. The, the kingdom as expressed originally in Genesis, we can say it's these four things. It's God's people, God's place, God's rule, and God's blessing. Make sense? So this is basic theology 101. What is the kingdom of God? It's God's people in God's place, under God's rule, experiencing God's blessing. There's the kingdom of God. Well, when Adam and Eve chose, I think, I, think we, I think we could do better under our own rule, right? What happens? They are, I'm gonna use this word because it comes up later. Y'all, they are exiled from the kingdom. Right? You know the story. They are, they are removed from the garden. And so what we find is Adam and Eve, all, all, of, all of, you know, God's people, I'm just going to keep using this phrase throughout here. So we've got people in God's place, under God's rule, God's blessing, No more. In the, when that happened, I'm trying to think of, again, just some words to describe it. You go from flourishing and blessing, right? Exiled, no longer God's people, not in God's place, not under God's rule, not experiencing God's blessings. And, and what comes upon us, if I could say it this way, because I'm gonna use it later, I like this phrase, what comes upon us, I call it death and his friends. That's what comes upon us. What do you mean death and his friends? I mean death. I mean separation from God, from yourself, from others. What do you mean his friends? I mean sickness. I mean injustice, oppression, war, lying. Death and all his friends becomes a lot for people in exile. Now, what's amazing is I've got a verse down here, Genesis 3.15, because I'm not gonna read it, but I just want, you've heard us say it before. Genesis 3.15, in the midst of the curse and their removal from the garden, God says, 
there's gonna come a, a male child born of the woman who will crush the serpent's head. Theologians have always understood that as the first good news, the proto-euangelion. It's, now they, you know, I say that, you, you, how do you get Jesus out of that? Well, you, it's hard to <laughs> there because revelation has not progressed enough for us to see who that's describing. But don't miss this. In Genesis 3.15, God says, there will come a, it's, it's a singular seed and it's masculine. It will come from the woman and will crush the head of the serpent, i.e. destroy death and his friends. Everybody with me? So the story of the Bible continues. And, and, and the next big event we note in the Bible where we see God at work to take care of death and his friends is when the kingdom is promised. The kingdom is promised. What name's gonna go in there? Those who know your Bibles a little bit, what name's gonna go in there when I say the kingdom was promised to first Abraham? Exactly. The Abrahamic covenant. Genesis 12, one through three. I won't read it. I'll summarize it. God chooses a man named Abraham from Ur of Chaldeans. And he's, he, God chooses him and says, I am going to make of you a, 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 a people. A, peop, a, a, a people are gonna come from you. I'm gonna, give you. I'm gonna give you a land. You're gonna be a nation and you're gonna have a land and the whole world is gonna be blessed through you. Now, why did God choose Abraham of all the people on the planet? Do you know the answer? This is a little trickier one, but what, what, why did he choose Abraham? Because. That's the answer, you all. You gotta understand Abraham is a pagan, idol-worshiping man. He's not righteous. He's lost. Why did God choose Abraham? Because God chose Abraham. See, you hold that because one day you stand over here and you look in the mirror and you have to ask yourself, I mean, why did God choose me? Because of his own gracious will. Well, he chooses Abraham, makes this promise to him. And of course, what nation does God form through this man, Abraham? What's the nation? What's the name of the nation? Israel. And when you look at Israel, God forms his people, brings them out of bondage, puts them in the land, gives them his law. What do we see? You know what we see? We see God's people in God's place, under God's rule, enjoying God's blessings. Wow, you got it? So, so, so now we have the, the people of God and God has given them the means by which they are in relationship with him. They're under his rule. They're enjoying his blessings and they are in the land. Things don't go well. Do you notice that in the Old Testament? And I could, you know, I'd have to have a longer board, but, but, but things don't go well and they end up wanting a king 
their first king, you know, failed them, failed them miserably. God chooses a king, and this is another just important part of the story. And you know, I'm leaving out 99% just so that we have the one, because that's all we can hold, but the one explains the whole. And so God chooses a man named David. And, you know, king after God's own heart. Now, David, now, now God makes a promise to David similar to the Abrahamic covenant. And I'll just note these things. I'm not going to read it again, but you can read 2 Samuel 7, 7, 16. And you'll note here he promises him a house and a throne and a kingdom. What you have are the echoes, of course, of you know, Abraham's promise was people, land, blessing. He comes to David. You hear the echoes of people, land, and blessing, promise him a house, throne, and kingdom. But there's a big part of this that, that David gets that we didn't see clearly with Abraham. David, there will be a king born from your loins that will reign forever. You will never lack a son on the throne. You know, it's like, oh, do we understand all it? Well, they, he, I don't know, he fully understood it per se. But that's the promise. Both of these promises to Abraham and to David, you all were unconditional. What, what do you mean unconditional? I mean, they had no conditions on the person. God said, I will do this. I know, but what if they mess up? God said, I will do this. But they got to do their part. No, God said, I will do this. This is the unconditional promise of God. Well, now you've got David. The kingdom, honestly, under David was, this, was at its height. Can I say that? And can we note this? Even the kingdom, okay, which now we know under David, again, they are, they are the people of God. I keep repeating this. In the place of God, under the rule of God, enjoying the blessings of God. Even under David, it was incomplete. It wasn't complete and full and perfect. Um, in fact, David's son Solomon did things that God said the king should never do. Solomon's son Rehoboam blew the whole thing apart. Just three, three sons, you know, two sons later, the kingdom is divided. There's the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. There's Israel and Judah, a, a divided kingdom. Does that sound like God's intention for his people? No, division, separate. no, 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 no. That's total opposite, isn't it? So this, the northern kingdom goes in 721, 100 years later, the southern kingdom's wiped off. In other words, in other words, when the southern kingdom goes, they're exiled. God's people in God's place under God's rule and under God's blessing, guess what? They're exiled again. They're not in the land. Uh, for time, I'm going to move on. So in the darkest days, 
This is, I'm, I'm almost the whole Old Testament. So we're now in the, just the dog days of darkness in the Old Testament. There's no, y'all, there's no kingdom. They, they, they don't exist. See, they've been wiped off. We're talking hundreds of years. And so God sends prophets. We've gone from Genesis 1 and 2, Genesis 3, Genesis 12, 2 Samuel, to the prophets. And now God, through his prophets, is going to tell his people who, quite frankly, think it's over. And why wouldn't you think it's over when there's, there's no line of David around here? There's no, we don't have a place. We are in Babylon. It's over. Well, it's not over. Isaiah, I want to read this. Isaiah 9, there's two passages. I want us to note the first Isaiah 9. Now I'm reading this because we're going to read this in a couple weeks. Here's what God says to people who are at their, who are hopeless. Isaiah says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forever, the zeal of the Lord of the hosts will do this. Can you imagine hearing that in captivity? Now, again, think, you've been in captivity. That's all you've known. It's, you're a grown person now. You're You've, that's all your whole life has been in captivity. No king, no throne, no David. And then he says this, that a child be born and, and, and suddenly you're hearing these words and, and he, wait, 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 wait. Okay, child, get that. That's a baby. Government's on his shoulder. Wait, and this child's gonna be my, wait, how can a child be mighty God? How, how can a child be everlasting? Wait, you're, you're describing God and you're describing a child. You know, in these dark days, Jeremiah comes on the scene. Jeremiah addresses something so fundamental, important. Jeremiah says, God is going to make a new covenant with you. Jeremiah, I'm not going to read it. Jeremiah 31 to 33. And here's all you need to know about this covenant, y'all. God says, I'm going to give you, a, God is going to give his people a new heart. The law will not be written on stone, but on the heart. If you stand over here on this side of this board and look at the people of God and you go, why do they keep screwing up? Why do they just keep messing up? Why God does good things and then they do bad things. Why do they keep making idols? Why? Because the problem is not their behavior per se, is it? What's the problem? What's the problem that, that people have? It's the, it's the heart, you see. It's inside of you, this rebellion. You can't will it away. And suddenly God in the Old Testament comes and says, I'm gonna give my people a new 
heart. I'm going to change them from within and they will be my people. No one will say, come know God because you'll know God in your heart, you see. This is, I mean, I don't even know how they would take it per se in, that, in those moments. And then what happens? Y'all, you know what happens? 400 years of silence. I don't know, you and I are gonna live 60, 70 years, 80 years, maybe if we, we live that, if you're given that many years. Feels like a long time. Our country's just over 200 years old. We think, man, what was it like back in the days of cowboys and Indians, blah, blah. 400 years. No prophet spoke. You all, I mean, it's like how many generations would you grow up and no one ever heard a word from God, ever heard a word from God, ever heard a word from God? And then the kingdom was promised. The, the kingdom's king is described. In the worst days, the kingdom is assured because Isaiah said, look, I know it doesn't look like it, but you need to know the king and the kingdom are coming. God will do it. 400 years of silence. Mm. And a baby is born in the middle of nowhere town, you know, to nobody people. And people didn't pay attention. I'm not blaming them at all. I'd, I'd be sitting there doing the same thing going, what are we doing tomorrow? You know, the king was, you know, there was a baby born in Bethlehem last night. So, okay, what else? What, when you look at Matthew, and this is the book we're studying, of course, now. Matthew chapter one, it's interesting that Matthew would choose this. Notice how Matthew's story of Jesus begins. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. Y'all, the rest of chapter one goes 14 generations from Abraham to David, from David to captivity, from captivity to Joseph, the father of Jesus. What is he doing there? I want you to see what he's doing is this child is Jesus This child is the son of David, who's the son of Abraham, whom God chose when he made a promise in Genesis 3.15. That's what he's doing. You know, it's one little snippet. The wise men, they're wise for a reason. Who are they looking for? What's the word? Where is he who is born what? What's the word? King. The wise men said, who is he who is born king? King, you all, of the Jews. Oh, it's Jesus. Jesus steps on the scene and says, the kingdom is here in Mark 1. So, so again, this is just a 30,000 foot flyover. But when Jesus said the kingdom is here, you see, oh, oh, 
Oh, what God has been doing from the beginning of time as we know it, through all of history, it's happening. It's happening. The kingdom is here. And in essence, and Rob will talk more about this and I'll talk more about it later. The, the, the kingdom, can I say this? It is Jesus, the God-man under God's rule in the place of God, enjoying God's blood. This is Jesus has brought the kingdom itself. Now, here's what's mind-blowing. And this is where people got confused. And, and, and I gotta tell you, I, I would as well. We're living under oppression from these Romans. People have been treating us like dirt forever. The king is finally here. <sighs> okay, our day is here. And how does Jesus step into the enthronement of his kingdom? On a cross. Y'all, the imagery is, is unmistakable. With a crown of thorns, the robe of purple on his back, and a sign above it that said, Jesus, King of the Jews. You all, the cross was his enthronement. So, how is Jesus dealing with death and his friends? With the sword? By dying. Why? Why, why not destroy those people with the sword? Because the problem is the heart. So Jesus takes your sin and mine on himself and the penalty it deserves, separation from God, and he bears the wrath of God he is separated from the Father, the wrath of God towards injustice, towards sin. The rightful penalty of sin is death. And Jesus absorbs it completely. Three days later, he rises from the grave because death can't hold an innocent man. And he says, if you'll trust me and believe in me, you see, that's how you get the new heart. I change you from within and I clothe you in my righteousness. So Jesus comes conquering death and his friends by dying in our place. This is the good news. <laughs> this is the good news. Rob described this several weeks back because he talked about the kingdom a bit. So that now the kingdom, heaven and earth in this middle space, are, it's God's people in God's place, under God's rule, enjoying God's blessing. I've got it drawn small down here, but I've got it drawn big up here to say heaven and earth and it's overlapping. And so all the kingdom of God is here. It's here. It's here. Those who put their trust in Christ, the kingdom of God lives in you. What, what do you mean it lives in me? Well, you, you've put yourself under the rule of God in Jesus Christ. You enjoy God's blessings. 
Wherever you go, the, you know, wherever the king went, that was the kingdom. Wherever you go as a follower of Christ, the kingdom goes. And you're on earth. This is so important. Rob's gonna talk about this more next week, but you all, it's not like I can't wait to get away from here to get to heaven. No, 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 this planet, you see, God redeems, restores. It's renewed. Let's take care of it and enjoy it. Now, here's what's fascinating to me. Time-wise, I, I, I gotta wrap up, but I'll, again, I'll finish in two weeks and Rob will pick this up. Do you ever stand over here and think of the garden story? Don't answer this out loud. And, and, and think maybe, golly, I could have done better. Do you ever think that? I, I mean, I do. I just like, my gosh, you had it all. You had it all. I think I would have chosen better. Well, we know we wouldn't have because God determined that Adam and Eve chose perfectly for us, and they did. But if you want to do over, can I offer you this? If you've placed your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you've been cleansed of all your, your sins have been forgiven. You are clothed in his righteousness. You have a new heart. The spirit of God indwells you. The law of God written on your heart. You know, if God looked at Adam and Eve here and said, hey, co-reign and co-rule the world with me. And they blew it. Do you know what he says to you and I here? You want to take a guess? Go into the whole world and take the kingdom. That sounds like what he told Adam and Eve. Exactly. So you want your chance, so to speak. You see, because as we are citizens of the kingdom, people, the kingdom of God. And God said, I want, I want you to go way out here to nowhere town, and I want you to go right here to your neighbor, and I want you to go right there where no one wants to go, and I want you to go right there, and I want you to take the good news of the gospel. I can't wait to talk in two weeks about the consummation of the kingdom. Just a preview for you of next week. Understand this. If this is true, then we're citizens of the kingdom. How do kingdom citizens live? You know what I'm saying? Like, am I an American first? Let me say it. Am I a Republican? That's, you understand, I'm a Republican, people. This is what I stand for these. I stand for this. Am I a Democrat? I guess I'm a, I stand for the, Where's your identity? Do you see where I'm going? Where's your identity? Where's our identity? If this is true, then we're citizens of the kingdom of God. May we live as citizens of the kingdom. And I'm telling you, citizens of the kingdom, they do what their king did. So when I have the opportunity to exert my will, I pick up a cross. When someone slaps me in the face, I don't slap them back. I pick up a cross and I die to myself. This is what marks kingdom people. 
Rob will have a lot more to say on that in the, in, in the next week. I got so much more I'd love to say. I don't have time to say. But you can certainly reflect on it. I'm gonna invite the band out because I do want us to say something. Us, me and you. And we'll say it in song. As you consider, there's so many applications here, y'all. I wanna offer two, if I may. The first is this. I want you to think about this in your own life. And if this, I, I... it's like I geek out over this kind of stuff because I'm just wired in a way that I just need to see how everything connects. That's, that's me. I'm just, I just want to see how it all fits together. Well, this is how it all fits together, y'all. The message is the kingdom of God. And the kingdom that has come in Christ, can I say this? The kingdom that's coming, I'm going to talk about it in two weeks, the kingdom that's coming, when it's all set right forever, can I say this? It's so certain that the Bible talks about, talks about it in past tenses the prophetic perfect. And, and what we'll see, and I want you, what you to consider, listen, and, and this, is, this is because of the time, time we're in. We're gonna go to the polls on Tuesday and vote. Who knows when we're gonna know the results? You know, it's, gonna, it's, it's a crazy week. We're not the first generation or the first people to go through elections that are difficult or whatever. But this is what we need to have on our minds and our hearts Regardless of, can I tell you who, can I tell you who raises up kings and brings them down? God. End of discussion, okay? I know our votes count. Yes, God raises up and brings down. Who who raises up nations and brings nations down? God does that, you know? And, And we're citizens of his kingdom. He's our God. There's two things that this story tells me. One is this. Man, when you look at the Old Testament and the New and us and us today, we are just as unfaithful as they were and we always will be. And may I say this? God always remains faithful. That's our hope. That's our sure and certain hope. I know I'm gonna blow it. I'm not faithful. God, you are. Oh, let us rest in that. And the second thing is this. I'm not simply a Christian going to heaven. I'm a citizen of God's kingdom called to express and extend the values and work of his kingdom. Again, I'll see more on it, but there's a reason you and I walk the dirt of this planet to extend the kingdom of God, be the kingdom. And I'll tell you, when the kingdom comes, can, can I say this? And we don't know a lot. There's a lot of mystery around this. You know, heaven, kingdom, heaven, earth. We'll still, we'll be on this dirt. We'll be on this plant. You know, this is a foretaste of heaven. God will redeem it all. Let's stand together. As you consider those two things, I hope they give you, I hope it gives you hope and purpose as we move into this challenging week. And I hope as we express ourselves in the words of this song, we're we're reminded that no matter what comes our way, no matter what happens, God is always God.